0: Lord, may your word live in us and bear much fruit to your glory. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, the third in our series for Advent Christmas, in the opening chapters of Luke's Gospel at this stage anyway, entitled Let Light Shine. And although it was briefly touched upon two weeks ago, Today we're going, to, returning to Luke chapter 1, verse 57 and following. Just, you heard the Gospel read just a moment ago. The chapter 1 in Luke is the beginning of Luke's story of Jesus. And yet, one thing is clear, it's not really a beginning at all. We're plunged into an ongoing story. And today's passage in particular, there are two ongoing stories. And we'll look at both. First, there's an ongoing story within Luke's Gospel itself. You see this in the opening words of today's reading, which I think is page 831 of the Church Bible, if you've got a pew Bible there. I hope those numbers are right. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. We're picking up a story that began back in verse five of chapter one, an ongoing story about one Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, who were upright before the Lord. But they're elderly and they're childless because, as Luke 1 voice 7 says, Elizabeth was barren and both were wed well along in years. But that's all about to change. Zechariah was one of the many priests who, from time to time, served in the great temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. When his once-in-a-lifetime chance came to burn incense in the holy place, He was confronted by an angel who told the startled Zechariah that his prayer had been heard, that his wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, and must be given the special name John. No explanation is given why that's to be his name, although the meaning of Yohanan in Hebrew may be a hint. The Lord has been gracious, gracious to the old couple, and as we'll see, gracious to Israel. And indeed, in time, Elizabeth does become pregnant. And that's where, for a moment, Luke leaves the story. Pregnant, if I say. <laughs> Pause. We then shift our focus to north, up north now, from the hill country of Judah, up north, to an obscure village in Galilee, Nazareth, the focus of our sermon last Sunday. The same angel, announced, who announced a child to an elderly Zechariah, now speaks to a young woman, telling her that she'll give birth to a son. Again, his name is specified, this time it's to be Jesus, Hebrew, Yeshua, Joshua. This, again, like like Johanan, are common names, but it has a powerful meaning. Yeshua, the Lord saves. And great promises are made about this child, as Justin pointed out last Sunday. And in response to the grace of God given her, Mary speaks out in praise of God. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. What we call the Magnificat, from the, from the Latin of the first sentence. Then Luke breaks off again that story, and goes back to the first story, which is where we are today. 157, the unborn son, of, and then finally we read, when it was time for Elizabeth to have a baby, she gave birth to a son. Now these two babies in Luke 1, will be inextricably linked in adult life. All four Gospels describe John, this John, as appearing as a prophet publicly in Israel before Jesus goes public himself. In every Gospel, he is that significant other guy. But they're also linked by the way Luke tells the story. He, He interweaves them. In both stories, the Lord acts in the face of human impossibility, one mother too old to conceive, one, as it were, too young. And the counts are into we. We have one, John's birth denounced. Two, Jesus' birth announced, Three, John is born. Four, can you guess what that's going to be? Come back next Sunday and find out. Back to John's birth. The one thing I haven't mentioned is that, that when the angel told Zechariah of the promise of a son, the old man was, and I must say, I'm somewhat sympathetic, somewhat sceptical. And because he had doubts about the angel's words, Zechariah himself is to be temporarily without words, unable to speak until it happens. So when the child is born, the father is silent, but the child soon has him speaking. There's the question of the child's name. When the boy to be circumcised, the sign of the covenant belonging to God's people Israel, Everyone expects him to be named after his father, Zechariah. No, no, says, says, says Elizabeth, his name is to be Johanan, John. Who in your family is called John? So they ask the old man. And Zechariah gets a writing tablet and writes down, his name is Johanan, John. And then he's able to speak. Or as rather, as Luke puts it rather grandly in verse 64, immediately his mouth was open and his tongue set free and he began to speak praising God. It's at the moment that Zechariah obeys the angel in giving the child the name he is told to that his enforced silence from his unbelief is removed. And what does he speak? He speaks the praises of God. And this causes quite a comment, <laughs> this old man running around <laughs> yelling out. In fact, all in the hill country we're told that the story of this strange circumcision goes around. And many people say, what then is this child going to be? Indeed. Indeed. And although he started silent, it's Zechariah speaking that dominates Luke's portrayal of this scene. As chapter 167 puts it, his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. That is he is inspired with words given to him by the Holy Spirit of God to speak. And what he speaks about is the second story in our passage. Another ongoing story. Not the personal story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, but the much bigger, grander story, the unfinished story of the Lord God and his people. The story of that long and impressive prequel we call the Old Testament, or what the New Testament itself simply calls the Scriptures. Those who know me will know that I am convinced that we must understand Jesus Christ. In fact, we can only understand Jesus Christ as part of and climax to that richer, longer story. We can only understand him as part of and the climax to that richer and longer story. Zechariah's inspired praise is in two sections, verse 68 to 75, then 76 to the end. The first half, about... God and Israel, the other particularly about the child just born. As you listen to the first part, you'll notice three things that stand out. Zechariah is not praising God for his son, or even his son's role in God's plans. He's praising the Lord God for the one whose birth has been announced to Mary, that is, Jesus, although he's not named as such. Two, Zechariah speaks about what's to happen as though it already has happened. It's as though for Zechariah, the birth of his son, John, who will, as he says, go before the way of the Lord to prepare his way for him, means it's as good as done already. And thirdly, as we'll see, Zechariah speaks of the wonderful future he sees beginning with his son in the language of Scripture, the past story of Israel. So he begins, verse 68, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Actually, that's the NIV, which is our church Bible. What he actually said was, Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel. For some reason, the NIV has made the decision to always translate, Blessed be the Lord, wherever it occurs in the Bible, as Praise be to the Lord. Uh, No no doubt that's a decision that they took. I'm not myself entirely happy with that. (laughs) Interesting, I then looked up, does the phrase praise be the Lord actually occur in itself? No, it doesn't. They mean much the same thing, I understand. So I'm going to use blessed be. Zechariah blesses the Lord God of Israel for what he's doing, or effectively done already, in the language of three defining moments of Israel's history. The exodus from Egypt, the kingship of David, and the promise to Abraham verse 68 blessed be the lord the god of israel because he has come to his people and redeemed them where else did the lord the god of israel come to his people and redeem them the great foundational moment of redemption when they were slaves in egypt and the lord came and redeemed them and brought them to himself as moses puts it in deuteronomy 15 15 remember you were slaves in egypt And the Lord your God redeemed you, brought you out of slavery. So Zechariah now blesses the Lord God of Israel, for he has come to his people and redeemed them. A new exodus, redemption. Second great theme from verse 69. He's raised up for us a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he promised to his holy prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. The phrase, horn of salvation, may sound strange to us, but the image of a horn, bull's horn and head, is an ancient symbol of strength and power. And that very phrase, horn of salvation, is used, for example, in Psalm 18, verse two, page 438 of the church Bible. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation my stronghold. Although in Zechariah's praises, the Lord's deliverance, the Lord's horn of salvation is through, quote, the house of his servant, David. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. David, the name of that crucial king of Israel through whom the Lord did rule and protect his people back in the ancient days and whom the Lord promises victory over his enemies. Like in Psalm 89, perhaps, for 79 of the church Bibles, I pick up verse 20 of that psalm. I have found David my servant with my sacred oil. I have anointed him. Anointing with oil is how a king is commissioned. I have commissioned him. And that's why David and his descendants are often called the Lord's anointed. And you know what, that, that, what the word anointed is in Hebrew? Mashiach or Messiah. And in Greek, Christos, or Christ, anointed. And even though David has long gone, and in fact there'd be no Davidic king ruling Israel for centuries, completely empty, nothing happening, Zechariah says of the Lord God of Israel, He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His David servant David, as He promised. as as he said through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us. Uh, A new David. A new David. A new Mashiach. And lastly, the fulfillment of even a longer prophecy, uh, promise. Verse 72. To show mercy to our ancestors, Zechariah, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hands of our enemies, to enable us to serve or worship him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Way back in the beginning, the Lord chose Abraham from all the scattered ones on the earth and bound himself to that man with a pact or a covenant in which the Lord promised to bless Abraham and his descendants. It's built out a number of times in the Genesis account. Here's just one in 22. Genesis 22, NIV, Church Bible, page 16. I will surely bless you and make your servants as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through all your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you've obeyed me. The commitment to Abraham now, says Zechariah, is being kept right now. He remembered his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Redemption in Exodus, the horn of salvation in the house of David, remembering his covenant to Abraham. Three ways in which Zechariah makes unpacks what is there's a great significance of what's beginning now with the birth of his own son and whether he will follow. The second part of Zechariah's song is about the son, or rather his role. His role will be a role of preparation. Verse 76, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord, prepare the way for him, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. A figure that will go before the Lord comes to Israel. And one reason, the Lord's people are not living free from their enemies is because of their sins. That's why they went to exile in the first place. An exile which is sort of over, but not really over, even though they're now in their own land. But this child, John, will prepare them for the coming of the Lord by calling them to repentance, turning from their, their faithlessness to the Lord and finding the Lord's forgiveness. And will the Lord be gracious? Look how beautifully Ezekiel puts it in verse 77 and following. To give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and guide our feet into the path of peace. It's like what happened this morning. God's mercy is like the power of the sun coming up. Israel are living in darkness, in the shadow of death, but God's mercy will rise, guide their feet into the paths of peace. Let light shine. Quite a song about Christmas, you might say, in preparation. Now, one last thing. You would have noticed how Zechariah thinks of salvation in Old Testament terms. He really has no other way to think about it, actually. From the ha- to rescue us from the hands of enemies, from the hands of all who hate us. Now, we can't read the old man's mind, but I expect he thought of something like a literal exodus and a literal King David who would come. That is, a glorious rerun of those days was at hand. Only it would be the Romans, not, not the Egyptians this time. That is what I think he thought. But what did it look like, really? I think it's amazing, Luke's gospel, by the way, that there's no anachronisms. That is, Zechariah speaks exactly like a man immersed in the Old Testament scriptures, who has no actual knowledge of what it will look like when it happens. So he speaks in those terms. But what was it like? Now, to answer that question, you've got to read the rest of Luke, and maybe even the Acts of the Apostles. I'm not going to try that this morning. But there is more to come. In fact, when you do read the rest of Luke's gospel, you find that in this, you find this. Jesus, Messiah, is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham, here the new exodus, and the restoration of the saving kingship of David. Yes. But he's the fulfillment in ways that are unexpected and astounding. It's the fulfillment of the ongoing Old Testament story, Jim, but not as we know it. So different, in fact, was Jesus from a literal expectation that at one stage, even John, John the Baptist, that child we're talking about today, sent a message to Jesus to ask, and I quote from Luke 7, verse 20, page 838, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect somebody else? Isn't that amazing? He was having doubts. So different was Jesus from what you might expect. Now, Jesus does not answer directly, as as ever. ever. (laughs) But he does call attention to what he's just been doing, the mighty acts of mercy, miracles. He says to him, go and tell John this. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. The good news is preached to the poor. Tell him that. By the way, all in the language, no surprise, of the scriptures. That's Isaiah 35 echoing. And after the Jesus undergoes his death and resurrection, no one saw that coming. Right at the very end, beginning of Acts, the disciples ask the question that flows straight out of Zechariah's song, exactly what you'd expect to ask. After you know Zechariah's song, he says, they say this, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Acts 1.6. And interestingly, Jesus does not say it's the wrong question nor answer it directly, but says, and I quote, it's not up for you to know the times and dates my father has set by his own authority. There will be a restoration of some kind, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. That's the agenda, which picks up the way Luke ends his gospel. We get Jesus' own take, on the question of the fulfilment of scripture. What does Jesus say about Zechariah's prophecy? He says this. This is Luke 24, verse 44 and following, page 859. And let me end with this. Jesus said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. He then opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are the witnesses of these things. That's the fulfillment of Zechariah's remarkable prophecy. That's why we're here this morning, because the message of, the repentance of repentance for forgiveness of sins in his name has been proclaimed even to us. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, because he's come to his people and redeemed them.